lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Friday. Thanks for tuning in here today. Live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. Aaron McIntyre is here as well as Todd Erzin. Good to see all of you as well. Let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. Take advantage of that by emailing the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E or like us on Facebook, Parler, MeWe, and Gab. You can also follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show and look for clips of the show that you can watch, sample for free, and then hopefully share with others that are devoid of any filtering or editing or censorship when you go to rumble.com slash Show. Rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. We have a special program, a slight deviation from what we typically do on a Friday prepared here for you today, which, of course, is going to require me to make sure I brought my A-game and eyewear, and thankfully, I did. All right, we're going to be reading as much as I'm going to be reading this show. Good thing I brought my better spectacles, uh, now offering authentic German-engineered Rodenstock eyewear for the first time right here in the United States. That's Rodenstock, by the way, 144-year-old company, considered the world's gold standard in optometry with over 500 patents. Ronald Reagan wore these as well. Uh, And they specialize in difficult prescriptions like mine, so I have to wear progressives. I, I'm not quite ready for bifocals. I'm just a little nearsighted, a little farsighted. Um, and so progressives are what I have to wear, and they can give you these phenomenal handcrafted frames to go with your prescription. If you want to try them out, if you've just got, if you've just got a normal uh, optical prescription, they can help you with that as well. When you go to betterspectacles.com slash Steve to schedule your teleoptical appointment with their best trained opticians in the country at betterspectacles.com slash Steve, or take advantage as well of that introductory offer, 61% off Ghost Specs lenses uh, with the free handcrafted Rodenstock frames. 61% off also at betterspectacles.com slash Steve. I mentioned we have a slight deviation from what we typically do on a Friday. We are still going to do Feedback Friday, but I have made the executive decision that we're going to forego the roundtable this week because my my cup runneth over here. I mean, we are overflowing with listener and viewer feedback, and that's not even counting the stuff I've just responded to individually on top of the fact my inbox is now overflowing again. But that is a good problem to have, right? It's, it's, it's good to, multiple choice. Um, a, you'd rather have too much, more than you can handle response from your audience, or B, no real response from your audience. A. Well, and to show how serious you are about that, you do this all yourself. You don't have me or Aaron right. do this. So, I don't have like a separate person going through my inbox. No, yeah. which is not necessarily normal. No, in this line of work, it is not. No. So why do you, I think you answer the first question. Why do you do that? The, the main reason I do it is because it is the best opportunity for me to stay directly engaged with the audience. And, and, and really, that's the main two, three, it's really the only reason I do it. It's not because I've got all kinds of free time and... I'm, I'm, exactly. I'm looking for something else to do, but that's a great question. It, it's the best way for me to stay engaged with y'all. And um, I, for a long time, I could answer everyone 
when you grow 200% in a year, I can't do that anymore. Um, I try to at least glance at them all because even if it's, and keep in mind, a lot of you address topics that 50 other people are addressing at the exact same time, right? So if it doesn't get on the air, it's just because someone else already addressed that topic. But uh, a lot of uh, great ideas for guests or things to talk about on the show are in that inbox as well. And I want to make sure we don't miss that. So it's just the best way for me to stay engaged with the audience. And uh, But those engagements, folks have um, have amped up considerably. So today here, we're going to do a special two-hour Feedback Friday. And we're going to get through as many of these as we possibly can on a various cornucopia of topics. You guys ready to go? Yeah. Absolutely. Let's start with Eric Postma, who says, just thought you'd be amused to hear that I and some friends were discussing your book on my tiny podcast. The first episode discussing it got taken down. Violation of community guidelines, apparently for discussing vaccine side effects. What's amusing and concerning about it is that my channel is tiny. We have barely 100 subscribers. So if they are paying attention to even tiny hobbyists like me with no real reach, what's that mean they do for people like you? Don't worry, though. I promptly had fun with it in part two and took the opportunity to remind people that Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> Perhaps in part three, I'll throw in some choice bits about Fulton County and how men cannot get pregnant. Excellent. Indeed, that is excellent. But I think he, he makes an excellent point in the middle of it. If he, if Eric Postma is doing this as a hobby with 100 people listening, which by the way, Eric, isn't a terrible start for a hobby. Mm-mm. Okay, I mean, you, you can't do what I do and feed a family on that, but... There's a lot of people doing podcasts that don't have 100 people listening, number one. So your, your hobby's off to a pretty good start. But his point, though, if he can get on their radar, what's that say about people like us? And, and this is what we talk about on this show with the level of censorship that we deal with all of the time. They've got spies everywhere. I mean, you're just... You're just in Tatooine asking directions, and you know pretty soon the stormtroopers are showing up. This yeah. is this is how things work. Listen, I got I got reported about my personal Facebook page when I worked at the Des Moines Register, but I still don't know which one. But but the only one of my own colleagues who was a Facebook friend, and they ratted me out to the local independent newspaper, just because that's what they do. So it's not shocking at all that you know this is it, this is a war. To them this is thunderdome to them we don't want it to be thunderdome but if they're gonna say it's thunderdome we need to recognize the terms of engagement i'm not shocked at all that you were ver- viewed as a danger it is just that you are a pestilence to them you are a cockroach just to have fun with it to recap the last year our elected officials on both sides told us to go along with the following or you're a racist extremist if you dare question any of it. Allow your children to be indoctrinated in online-only school. Do not open your business or go to work. If you get sick, don't expect health care. Accept an experimental vaccine. Wear a mask, even if there's no reason for it. Accept voter fraud. Ignore the massive immigration influx. Accept inflation. Accept new gender norms. Get used to less available consumer products, food, gas, and housing. If we had no one representing us at all, we would be better off. These representatives have almost fully achieved the goals of the World Economic Forum's Great Reset and are on their way to fully execute them. Why are we allowing the legislators to represent us when all of this is so wrong? 
How do all of us stop this? And that is from Holly. Holly, the answer to your question is simple, but but fulfilling it is not easy. See, we have this, this vision statement for the show this year. Our theme this year is the answer is us. Now, here's the thing, though. We've, we've discussed this in broader terms, but we have never quantified it as specifically as I am about to. Because, see, if the answer is us, then unless we're arguing a philosophical fallacy, which we don't do on this show or try not to anyway, if we're going to take this to its most logical conclusion and maintain intellectual honesty... If the answer is us, then then what is the problem? Us. Us. Yeah. We can only be the answer because we're the problem. If the problem was hurricanes, would the answer be us? No. No, I mean, do we have any level of jurisdictional authority over hurricanes whatsoever. Uh, global warming is probably causing those, though, Steve. So <laughs> I walked right into that. Us. I stepped right into that. Very well. Okay. Other than that claim, do we have any, do we have any recognizably confirmed authority over hurricanes? No. Non-speculative ones? No, no we don't. Um, the, the reason we can, we have some jurisdictional authority over this one is because most of these are problems of our own devising. Now, ultimately, it's revival or bust. Like, can we conquer our own sin nature on our own? No. No. Can we subdue or discipline our sin nature to some extent? Yeah. Yeah. As a society, can we subdue or uh, de-incentivize sin natures to some extent? We can and we must. That's why we have laws, right? I mean, those are there to disincentivize people from doing bad things and notifying them up front what will happen to them if they do, correct? Yes. Yes. Jen okay. Pisaki is flagging things on Facebook as we speak, so I'm certain <laughs> that you can intervene in correct. events. Correct. Now, can I, can I make my sinful nature go away on my own? Can I make my sinful thoughts go away on, on their own? Can I make all my sinful actions go away on their own? No, I cannot. But can I subdue some of my nature, have, have some level of responsibility for my nature, some level of self-control? Can I do that? Yes. Yes, I can. And that's why the answer is us. Because this is what government, Holly, and everybody else, when, when they say in that founding document, government deriving their just powers by, from the governed, government by the consent of, of the governed. What does that mean? It means we get the government we deserve. That's what it means. Wasn't the Boston wasn't the Boston massacre like in I want to say like 1755 or 1757 or something like that? No, I think it was 1770, wasn't it? I, okay. But it was it was I Before, knew it was yeah, like it was like a good like, 5 years oh, or yeah, something. Yeah. Maybe not 10. Okay. 
So it wasn't like there was the Boston map. Because here's the thing. we Well, when they still taught American history, when we were going to school, there'd be a chain of events in all of our American history books, right? And mm-hmm. there'd be the, the Boston Tea Party, the Boston Massacre, and then we'd go like right to like Bunker Hill mm-hmm. and the Declaration. And, and so when we read that stuff as a kid, even if you're taught real American history and internalize it, there's this idea that this chain of events like unfolded over a few weeks or a few months or even one calendar year, right? Right. Not the case. I mean, the Sons of Liberty spent years arguing with their own countrymen about why do you keep putting up with this? Why do you keep tolerating it? The reason they met there in Independence Hall is they were still arguing and debating whether to keep tolerating it themselves. They weren't first meeting to declare indep- or, to, or to agree on what the Declaration of Independence should say, but whether they were going to do it at all. Right up to the last day. So were they, did, did they, were they more subdued over their sinful nature collectively in that day and age? Uh, well, yes. Yeah. yes. Was there more self-control incentivized in the culture in that day and age? Yes. Yes. Were they any less free of their sinful nature than we are? No. No. That's why they were debating this level of complacency. And what was the argument? Same arguments. Sometimes they were shrouded in theology, like, you know, are we violating Romans 13 by doing this? They debated that heavily. But a lot of those debates were, frankly, false objections to cover up the fact, hey, we're, we're all wealthy landowners here, pretty much. You know, we're men of means here, most of us are. I mean, this, this is going to be fought in our homes. We just watched The Patriot again in our house. I hadn't watched it in years. My son had never seen it, so him and I watched it over the 4th of July weekend. And this is a point Mel Gibson's character makes. Hey, you guys realize, okay, this isn't the French and Indian War, man. We're not going out on the frontiers here. You guys guys understand, you do this, this is going to be, these battlefields are going to be our homes, our ranches, our plantations, our farms, our acreages, our crops are getting burned. Do we realize this? This is going to be fought in our own backyard. And it was. That's why we played that clip from the late, great Paul Harvey about what it meant to pledge their lives, fortunes, and sacred honors and how, how many of them did. I mean, they learned what that ultimately meant. This really comes down ultimately to, are you willing to pay the cost? Change in life, whether it's your health, a relationship, corporately a culture change in life only comes how did i lose 100 pounds the old-fashioned way it took me about 15 years to finally hate being 400 pounds more than i hated what i was going to have to do to do something about it and that's the formula right there that's the formula for any positive change period the problem is We're all made in the image of God, but we're all uniquely made. So some of us are much more sensitive about paying that cost in in certain areas than others. So it's getting all those lined up is difficult. But collectively, Holly, this doesn't go away until enough of us are angrier about them doing it to us than we are what it will take to end it. Because what it's going to take to end it is a mass purging of the Republican Party 
on a mass global Southern Baptist convention in the 1970s level of scale, like a purge. Or a completely new party. For goodness sakes, y'all just elected the most outsider candidate of all time who violated every norm of, norm of the office on his way there. And in the Biden administration in about 10 minutes after taking over, just issued a bunch of executive orders making it look like he was never president of the United States like ever, right? Right. Okay. So the idea that even putting Ron DeSantis in there or, or, or somebody like him in 2024, you're not going to updo, you're not going to undo decades of systemic and systematic rot gut with one person or one era. This is going to take some resolve. Any more like than I lost over 100 pounds the first time I worked out or the first week or the first month. So this is going to take some resolve. And that resolve comes from we hate what has happened to us more than we are fearful or upset or, or hesitant about the cost it will take to do something about it. Until that calculus changes for enough of us that we reach a critical mass. And it doesn't... It doesn't have to be a majority. It just needs to be a few more people than it is right now. Until enough of us pay that critical, are willing to, that there are enough of us willing to pay that cost that we reach that critical mass. This will continue. Now, there's here's the good news. There is evidence for sure, and we have cited it on the show that some form of critical mass is occurring. Right? There, we we have pointed that out. Some form of critical mass is occurring. That's good. It just needs to, it needs to reach a level higher than it is right now. But it's on the way there. But that's why a few days ago I was talking about, I hope they unleash it all. Because that's one way I know it will get there. There's, there's one thing you have to do to make sure that you yourself are the person you think or you claim to be in doing the things Steve is talking about? Do you know who the members of your school board are? Yeah. And the ones you should support by name and the ones you need to make sure are thrown out and run against, either by you or somebody you recruit. If you don't know the answer to that question, which is the election that's coming up first, then before you say anybody else is the problem... Because those are always held in September. Yes. Yeah. Then you really... You got to start with the man or the gal in the mirror. Well said. You know, we've been warning you about home title theft for a while here on the show. This is where thieves acquire, cyber thieves acquire some of your personal info, not to steal your identity, because you should have identity theft protection if you don't. Everyone should these days. Uh, but it's it's so that they can log in to the website where your home title, home's title is kept. And now they've got an address, an elementary school, a maiden name, middle initial, the kind of thing you use to identify yourself online. You know, the kind of thing you might post on a Facebook page. And then um, it's, it's seen a massive data breach, like what happened there recently with 500 uh, million accounts exposed to cyber thieves. Now they've got that information. They go in, log on to your website where your home's title is, claim you've sold their home to them on a quick claim deed. And before you know it, They've got access to all of your home's equity. Don't let that happen to you. And it won't with our friends at Home Title Lock. Sign up for 30 free days today of protection in order to take care of yourself. Have your back during this high-risk breach. If you use the code RADIO when you go to the website, 
HomeTitleLock.com. 30 free days of protection today. When you go to HomeTitleLock.com and use the code RADIO at HomeTitleLock.com. Rob Knisley, or Nisley, from Ohio Gun Owners writes, As someone who until recently worked inside the Ohio legislature and as someone who knows uh, knows and lobbies the legislature on gun issues, I can tell you with full confidence that your analysis recently of the squishes in there is spot on. The Democrats are rabid followers of the spirit of the age, and the spineless Republicans are weak, complacent, and unwilling to take on the tough issues. They get their marching orders from the leadership team, and they are brainwashed to do as little as possible in order to not rock the boat. It's a disgrace and an absolute embarrassment. It took over 10 years just to get the Republican-dominated legislature and governor's mansion to pass the heartbeat bill. Not to mention state after state across America is passing constitutional carry this year. Even Pennsylvania is doing it, but not Ohio, where we have super majorities. These losers need to go, and we already have term limits. Now, do you guys, Aaron, why do you think I had this email go right after Holly's? What do you think I put him in that order? Because it's part and parcel to what? Disbanding, disbanding what? The Republican Party. Um, that's, that's what needs to happen. They do not represent you. They really don't. For the, the vast majority of them, the vast majority of Republican lawmakers don't. They don't represent you. In fact, in many cases, they just don't agree with you. They're not stupid. They just don't agree with you. They feel like it's their job to hold you back. They feel like it's their job to uh, corral you and then show you a little bit of leg so that you'll go back to vote for them on Election Day. Disbanding the Republican Party as we know it, creating something new or hostily uh, with, uh, you know, hostility taking it over. That's what needs to happen. But ultimately, there's one part of that that I kind of glossed over. I keep saying this. Somebody keeps voting for Mitch McConnell. Somebody keeps voting for fill-in-the-blank Republican. Somebody keeps voting for them. So if if we're the answer, we're also right now the problem. That's just a restatement of what we just talked about a few minutes ago. John Prather in Florida says, All the talk about tightening election laws is well and good. However, laws were broken in the last election and no one was charged. What good will more laws do if they're not enforced? Well, I mean, this is, this is kind of true across the board. What do you say about what we're a nation of on a regular basis, Steve? We are not a nation of laws and we never have been. We are a nation of political will and we always will be. See... People have asked me, what is the point of pursuing what's going on in Arizona, Georgia, and these other places if no one's going to be held accountable for it? The point of doing so is to expose the system so that it won't do it again. Because it's not about the rule of law. It's about the political will. You can have all kinds of political will when you are the anchor on a show on MSNBC And your whole staff that does your show either agrees with you or would not dare defy you. You're on a network that doesn't really care what your ratings are. Well, that's even more true of CNN, provided you are um, you are a mouthpiece for the affirmed narrative that they view themselves as a vehicle for. You live in probably if you're working out of D.C., northern Virginia or likely New York. So you're around pretty much 
people everywhere you go in every sector of influence that largely share your impulses and influences, right? Right. Okay. Real easy to be Joy Reid. Real easy to be Rachel Maddow, Don Lemon, um, it, 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 Jim Acosta. It's really easy to do that in those settings, right? Right. But you see, folks, those poll workers, even if they're hardcore members of the Democrat machine, that ain't them. They're your neighbors. They're maybe some of your fellow churchgoers. Uh, You guys are on the PTA committee together. Your kids play Little League together. They don't have the insulation, the spirit of the age level of insulation and protection that exists from the media mouthpieces that in our arena we go against. This is granular to them, personal. And even if no one goes to jail, it ain't nearly as easy to walk right into that polling booth in Fulton County, Maricopa County, Milwaukee County, Wayne County. Ain't as easy to do that and F over your own neighbor in broad daylight. When he knows you're doing it, and you know that he knows you're doing it. See, if it was, we'd never talk about each other behind their backs. There's a reason your neighbors, when you put the Trump sign in your yard, the Karen in the end of the cul-de-sac, talks about you behind your back, and then when you come walking on the street with your dog, everybody gets quiet. And then they wait for you to walk by again, and then they talk about you behind your back again. Because they don't want the smoke for talking about you to your face. That's why. This was the main reason I was so hated at the Des Moines Register. They're like, they couldn't, like, why are you here? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. You're in our way of yes. our, of our, of our, of our little communion here. Yes. And that's, that's why we go through with this because the, the, the people that are the, Demo- that are the voter fraud Democrat machine in Marico- Maricopa County, they're not making Rachel Maddow money to lie to you like this. They're not. They're the stormtroopers. They're the pawns. But they're also the implementers of this scheme. However, it just so happens to be they're also the most vulnerable figures in it. It's just not easy to be openly exposed and shamed like that amongst your neighbors. That's why they put up all the signs in front of the windows. That's why they painted the windows black. That's why they drew the shades. Because they didn't want the smoke. That's why they don't, want to, they don't want the name of the of the officer who killed Ashley Babbitt out. But Tucker Carlson gets doxxed by the NSA. No, they can have some of the smoke now. Sure, you want to do that? You, you can talk. You, you know what? You talk. They. You, it's real. You, you guys talk really big about me when I'm walking my dog in the neighborhood. I'm out of earshot. Try it when I'm right in your face. Let's see what happens. Man. You guys talk really big, really big about we gotta we, we can't let orange, orange man bad. We can't let these people win. We can't do this, can't do that. You guys talk really big when you're all sitting around watching Rachel Maddow together. But this is Maricopa County, Arizona. This is Georgia. Rachel Maddow don't live here. I do. So do you. Gonna do it now, right in my face. 
And then if they do it and you put up with it, well, then at that point, bro, that that's a you problem. That I mean, that is a you problem. But over my career, here's what I've learned. Cockroaches hate sunlight. Whether they're the scurrying on the floor kind or the or the uh, the vertical vertebrate kind. So whether we're talking about literal cockroaches or metaphorical ones, all of them hate sunlight, hate exposure. Let the sun shine in. That's what I would do. Any thoughts on that? Well, this is also part of, uh, remember, uh, last week, uh, Tim Young's point about the Internet. Yes. He said this is what happened it allowed the or the people- iced tea line it, the, the internet has created yes. a place where people think they can get away with saying stuff to yes. you without getting their teeth punched out yes so yeah. a week later you're echoing him yes yeah and this is this kind of goes to what we were talking about earlier this week when you when you go and confront them face to face um and it's not just in loudon county and it's not just in in some of these places when it's all across the country and you see episode after episode of face-to-face confrontations, that's why the spirit of the age, as you surmised earlier this week, Steve, that's why they're trying to make things more partisan, dial things up to 11 again when it comes to the vaccine or any number of issues. They're trying to divide things as much as they possibly can because they know that some of you are waking up and that scares the hell out of them. We will be back with more of a special two-hour edition of Feedback Friday when we return. Stay tuned right here on The Blaze. This is Steve Dace. On The Blaze Radio Network. Are you seeing You know, there's too many other reasons to get all stressed out these days. Don't make your male pattern baldness, receding hairline, one of them. Especially when the good news is Keeps can help you do something about that with the same doctor-recommended FDA-approved hair loss treatment, but you'll get the generic versions. So you only pay about half the cost, and then you get all kinds of convenience because everything's done online. You just answer a few easy questions, snap a few pics of your hair, and then a licensed doctor will review your info and recommend the right hair loss treatment for you, and it's shipped directly to your door. Now, if that's not enough incentive to get you to sign up, how about we'll throw one more thing in for you. Half off your very first order to further jumpstart your uh, options there at keeps.com slash grow. K-E-E-P-S for keeps.com slash grow. Again, that's keeps.com slash grow. Let's get back to our special two-hour feedback Friday. This one is from Jason who says, the other week, one of my coworkers tested positive for COVID and my employer told me I had to get tested. I said, not unless I start to feel sick, and then they backed off. So the guy is back now, and we were talking about it. I asked him how many of the people he was with tested positive, and he said about 15. Only one of those people felt ill for just a couple of days. Some were vaccinated, some weren't. His wife and him are vaccinated, and both had it. He got the J&J vaccine. She had the Moderna. 
I don't know what this means, but obviously the vaccine didn't help those with it any more than those without. Both his young kids had it too, but didn't have any symptoms. He kept, he, they are unvaccinated. I've been listening to you guys since you started on The Blaze, and you're the only program I listen to daily. I can't thank you guys enough for giving me the courage to, appro- to approach difficult conversations in a respectful way with friends and family who disagree with me. So you guys are starting to see the order I put these all in for a reason, right? What did Jason do here? He pushed back. Like he wasn't like a D-bag or anything about it, right? He's like, eh, I'm going to, I got, yeah, I'm a grown man. I, I'm, I'm welcome to an opinion. And I'm going to share mine. And here it is. Uh, I don't need to get tested unless I have symptoms. There's, it's a pointless exercise. That, that was the whole point. That's, that was the case-demic or scam-demic aspect. It wasn't that the virus wasn't real. It was just the, the way that they wanted everyone to test, whether they had symptoms or not. There's no point to that. Unless your point is to slow the spread of people's freedom, then there's all, all kinds of points to it. And then when they when they were having too many breakthrough cases with people that were vaccinated, what did they do to this, the testing sensitivity of those who were vaccinated? Uh, they raised it so that it was higher for you to test positive now. In other words, they or, or they lowered it. They put it back where it should have been from the very beginning, the threshold they should have had, in order to have fewer breakthrough cases. And that, then we're not going to track breakthrough cases anymore. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Which just goes to show you what the what that this is about engineering an outcome. Yeah. And if they can slow and stop the virus and save people on the way, great. But that is the second directive here. The main directive is the engineering of an outcome. I mean, if you just want to go with all these really smart people are so bad at this that a guy who a a, a, a junior college grad who hosted a two-hour show for The Blaze, just outsmarted them all. Okay, you've got a higher regard for my intellect than even I do, and I've got a fairly high regard for it. I think we'd all agree on that, right? Okay, you've, somehow you love me even more than I love me, some me, all right? No, that's not what happened here. It has been happening. It's just your health has not been the overall system's primary concern. Milking this for a desired outcome has been, or a series of them. And that's why we keep catching them in these fallacies. We keep catching them in these lies. It's not because we're smarter than them. I'm actually beginning from the premise I'm not. That's why I look so closely at their own data and their own systems and their own statements. And then lo and behold, you find out they often just don't add up. Yesterday, Aaron, you had shared a tweet from, if you follow professional poker, a fairly well-known professional poker Mm -hmm. player. What did it say? I haven't left my house in 18 days. Or I'm sorry, five times in 18 months, he said. Yeah, six times in 18 months. Six times in 18 months. I haven't left my my home, but six times in 18 months. I'm fully vaccinated. And now I have just tested positive for COVID Mm -hmm. when a whole bunch of people I know that aren't vaccinated and go out all the time never have. Yep. Yeah. That's a shame. What did Rand Paul say the other day? I'm naturally, I've got natural immunity, so there's no need for me to get vaccinated. We're seeing more and more studies that show the natural immunity outlasts the vaccination immunity. More and more real-time data that is showing this, actually. And yet, our own experts just totally ignore natural immunity and don't want to talk about it. Do you think I know more about natural immunity than Anthony Fauci, Todd? 
Well, you've caught up a lot in the last uh, month and a half or year and a half. Do you think I know more about natural immunity and how it works than Anthony Fauci does, Todd? No, I know what you're going for. No. So then, um, if that's the case, why am I talking about it and why isn't he? There's only bad answers to that question. Yeah. You don't enjoy lying like he does. Yeah. So... Look what the result of the pushback was. Now, I don't want to lie to you. Jason pushed back. They backed off. Sometimes you push back, they might push on you a little harder. You then might have to push back harder. Like, if you come at me with like a, in a real snotty way, I'll respond snotty back to you. If you come back, if you come at me like in a dignified way, even if it's from a completely, what I believe to be warped premise... Do I come at you hard that way if you do that with me? No. No. If I think we're being honest with each other, I've got all kinds of patience. I've got a lot more graciousness than when I come to the conclusion we're not. Or you're not. Over the last several Feedback Fridays, I've noticed an alarming amount of young women writing in with their struggles about finding a suitable husband. As I listen to you read their emails, I think about how I could have written them myself not that long ago. So I wanted to share my story of hope to them. When I turned 30 in the spring of 2019, I was a teacher in a Catholic school. I'd never even been in a relationship. Not only that, I'd only been on a handful of dates, which I mostly initiated. I'm a Christian woman. I always believed that God called me to be married, but at this point I was beginning to lose hope. I continued to despair over why no one seemed interested in me. Everyone in my life had always told me what a catch I was, and yet I had absolutely no data to support that. Although my family and close friends knew how much I longed for marriage, it was generally something I just kept to myself. What would people think if they found out this smart, decently attractive Christian young woman couldn't get a date? And even when I could, I was convinced there was something I said or did that drove eligible men away. I had followed every rule in life, graduated high school, college, went back to graduate school so I could teach. I had plenty of friends, spent much of my free time with family that I love. My life was incredibly fulfilling, and yet I didn't have what felt like the one thing I wanted more than anything, a husband to share my life with. It turns out my 30th year was pivotal to strengthening my faith in God and submitting to who he was in my life. I took that year to come to the realization that maybe marriage wasn't what he wanted for me. After much prayer, I accepted this and had an amazing sense of peace. It was literally nothing like I could describe. Every day, uh, every day after that was not sunshine and rainbows, but my relationship with Christ and trust in his plan for my life were solid. I continued to move through life, still open to the idea of being married, but also at peace with the idea that someone may never come along. And then I went back to work after Christmas break in January of 2020. A coworker asked me if I'd be interested in being set up with someone. I said, absolutely, because I committed myself. I committed to myself years ago. I would accept these opportunities when offered. Greg and I went out about a month before COVID lockdowns began in March of 2020, and the rest is history. We were engaged at Christmas and just got married in May. The truth is, we couldn't be more different on paper. I went to Catholic school my whole life, have a master's degree. I like organizing, cooking, and cleaning. He was homeschooled, didn't go to college, and likes disc golf and woodworking. But it turns out that we agree on most principle-related matters. COVID certainly highlighted these similarities. I had an extremely fulfilling life before I met Greg. Being with him has merely just made it better in countless ways. He truly is the best friend I had been looking for my whole life. I would say that being with him ultimately allows me to fulfill the plan 
God has for my life. And that is from Claire. Any thoughts? Well, uh, you didn't explicitly say it, but it's all there. Something I've said multiple times on this show. Uh, you, you were open to dating another created in the image and likeness of God. And other than that, you did not have this laundry list of demands. We, I know we, we've done this thing and it's, it's, it's not a terrible thing on its face that we have online dating now. I've never been a part of it, but you go on and you check a list of likes, dislikes, compatibility things. Well, even if you do that in person, ultimately you and Greg did that on some level, but right out of the gate, you didn't do that with yourself and way too many people do that. And then they're just locked into this funnel that is perpetual failure. Mm. And, and they think it's, well, why can't I find the right guy? Well, maybe you aren't the right gal or vice versa. Or vice versa. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, you got, you, maybe you have no idea what you're doing with this thing. And when you opened it up and look at there, you have the fundamentals ultimately turned out to be true, but on the eye test, Maybe people are saying, I don't get it. It's not up for people to get it. It's sometimes not even up for you to get it. Because this thing called companionship, our relationship is also supposed to be created in the image and likeness of God. Well, that has to do with the Trinitarian notion of things. That's how we learn about relationship, and none of us can totally wrap our brains around that thing. So well done, sister, because you opened yourself up to the great cosmic truths, and you've been anointed wholly accordingly. That is encouraging, and it should be encouraging for folks who are either in the position she was in or know someone who is. And um, I don't. So many things, though. I think what I can boil Todd's very wise words into: so many things uh, in our life, uh, who we marry, um, when we have uh, children, where we go, what opportunities, what doors open. Guys, you can you can look back and you can see, you know, you can see God's um, your plan for your life. But in the moment, though, it's all it's all according to God's uh, timing. There's very little in the end, and I'm talking I'm talking about in a broad, uh, transcendent or spiritual sense. There's very little that we can do to um, to um, push along what we want, what our desires are. The only thing I think that we can do that makes a difference is by giving our own desires to God, being content with where we are. And that's a hard thing to do, especially when there are uh, biological clocks ticking. And I'm speaking as a man here, so don't take that too far. But a lot of these things are just completely up to God's timing and his will not necessarily our owns. And will and desire are two different two different things and requires a little bit more time um, to explain, but but it is it should be an encouragement. And I think that's just another indication of of God's plan and, and his timing at work. I want to go back to what you just said about preparing yourself. For those of you that have yet to be married or are just getting married, here's why what Todd said it is so key. It's very hard to stay married. It is hard to live with a sinner. And it is hard for them to live with a sinner. You. 
All right. So the the best, the, the more you can do a self-assessment of you and prepare yourself to be someone that when the when the flash and dash is gone and the sexual newness wears off, and now we're into the grind of day-to-day life, the challenges that come with it, the deaths of loved ones, loved ones who need financial help, the loss of a job, the loss of somebody in your in your family that's tragic. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that stuff is not easy. It's not. And so the best you you can offer someone gives you the best odds of keeping that thing going and vice versa, by the way. Because it's it's not easy, folks. It's not. And then a lot of people think that, hey, you know what? I'll, I'll try it with somebody else if this doesn't work out. And you see the divorce numbers go higher the more often we try it. So it, it, it be, staying married is is not easy. It's not easy living with a sinner. And then you start having kids, and they're all little sinners too, <laughs> right? And so now, now you started a house, we had two sinners. Now we may have three. We might have four. We have five. Todd's case, he's got six. He's got six sinners in his home. I've got five, okay? When you add more sinners, does it make it easier, Todd? No. No, it does not. So that that's why the prep aspect that you talked about, the prep time, I think is is vital to consider. That um and and maybe it's not you maybe it's not you that needs some additional prep time now, but the person that maybe God has in mind for you does. And so but just I think your odds of a successful marriage are strengthened if you don't overly romanticize what what the process of doing it day to day, year after year is. Because those expectations, not not to say don't have any, don't just abandon romance. No, that's a false choice. Okay, let's be adults about this. But, but, But be measured in understanding you're both still sinners. Is that fair? Oh, yeah. That's more than fair. One of the critical mistakes women make these days is that um, they have a laundry list of things they want except for him to actually be a man. And that doesn't mean they're gay, but they don't... He's just... He's like a creature that is there to validate my emotions. No. He's he's happy to help you with that, but if, if you're really looking for a man, then be clear about what that checklist is. And then you will see it in all different shapes and sizes that you didn't expect are pretty impri- impressive, pretty surprising, and um, you'll be happy. But if you lie about that, it, it, even if you do get married, like Steve said, it's going to break on the rock sooner or later. But then you deal with the dearth of those men, like she talked oh, about. Hey, now I'm successful, attractive, and my experience tells me a woman tells you she's decently attractive is probably really attractive. You know what I'm saying? So the really attractive women have a tendency to understate their mm-hmm. level of attractiveness. So let, but we'll go with her language. I'm successful. I'm decently attractive. Mm-hmm. I can't get asked out a lot. That's a that's a dearth of masculinity yeah. yes. there as well. You yeah. bet. All right, we'll come back. Hour two, more of a special two-hour feedback Friday right here on Blaze TV radio and podcast when we return.
You're listening to Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network. Steve Day Show. Back with Hour 2 here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast with a special two-hour edition of the Steve Day Show. I am he. Todd Erzin is here with me as well as Aaron McIntyre. Let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email us. Like us on Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, and Gab. You can also follow me on Twitter at Steve Day Show. And then, of course... You can go to rumble.com slash Steve Day Show, and that's where you're going to find uh, free clips of the program that you'll enjoy because they're uncensored, unfiltered by big tech at rumble.com slash Steve Day Show. And again, the last name is D-E-A-C-E. For those of you that are podcast listeners, thank you. You have played a huge role uh, in the success and explosion of growth of this program in the last year plus. Thank you. If you haven't done so yet, uh, make your contribution by hitting subscribe or follow on that podcast platform that you use, whichever is, uh, whichever is the preferred way that they do that there, or hit a five-star review for us because the more of those we get, the more it helps the show to grow. It, it is honored by the algorithmic gods from Skynet who rule over us these days. And we want to thank all of you that have done that for us already. Thank you so very much to each and every one of you. Also want to thank you uh, for by offering you an opportunity to put back into your pet's diet what's likely missing. All those vitamins, minerals, nutrients, pre, probiotics, antioxidants, etc. Chances are... Your pet is eating a food stripped bare of all that good stuff for the same reasons our food has been in order to in order to supply for massive uh, consumption and distribution. If you leave that stuff in, the food spoils faster, so you take it out, so it does not. Same thing happens with your pet's food. That's why they need a supplement like you and I have. Luckily, now there is one. It's called Rough Greens. It's a powder that you mix in with the food your dog already loves, and if your dog's like my dog, Cap, they'll love their food even more. But maybe your dog's not, and you're worried about that. Let's find out. We'll give you the first 14-day Jumpstart bag for free when you go to roughgreens.com. That's R-U-F-F. That first 14-day Jumpstart bag is free at roughgreens.com. You just pay for the shipping. That's it, a couple bucks for the shipping, but the bag is on us. Or give them a call at 833-ROUGHDOG. Again, that's 833 833- Rough Dog, we're doing a special two-hour edition of Feedback Friday because I'm so overloaded with feedback, and there's so much good content here for topics and questions and issues. Let's go to this one from Brian next. Brian says, JFK may have been the first television president, Reagan, the first actor to be elected as president, but Trump was the first active television reality star to be president. Since he won, we had heard that Hollywood elites like Oprah, The Rock, and George Clooney we're considering runs for president. Now that Biden has shown how to, quote, obtain, I like that, enough votes to win, do you think we'll ever hear of Hollywood elites considering running for president again? I don't think so. I think, you know, The Rock and all this stuff is just publicity. 
And I think it's something that if you're doing with, if you're living the lives they're living and doing what they're doing, you, you think about maybe I could do some good with a job like that. But then when you consider the investment of time it will take to acquire said job and how much time that will take away from that life that you're living and everything else you're doing, you do that math and it's just not, it just doesn't add up. Now, I think Matthew McConaughey could end up being a unique case. One, it's not president, it's governor of his own state that he loves. Two, he is a bit of an eclectic personality, kind of his own man anyway. And I could see him just trying it just to see what it's like, see if he could pull it off. What do you guys think? Well, I couldn't we just getting more likely to get more and more candidates? The more the Venn diagrams, uh, the circles overlap each other, and this is all theater. Uh, I, why, why might it not become more likely? I mean, that's what they do. They, they, they manipulate. They, they, they seduce. I, I, I don't see. And here's where I, I'm with you in terms of all the actual variables. I can't analyze relative to the past, but as we go forward, I mean, we're just entering. Uh, what it, it, the idiocracy? You love the movie, isn't? Yes. What what the president Camacho? Camacho, uh, beef yeah. supreme. Yeah, beef supreme. Yes. yes. Is that where we're going? I don't know. What do you think, Aaron? You be you be the deciding vote here. I'm I'm going to say no because it gets in the way of their comfort. But Todd says, hey, if it's all theater of the absurd, they are they are you know they're the ringleaders. So why not? What do you think? I will say. I think I think Matthew McConaughey, because of what Todd said, I think he is probably a little bit too thoughtful for the job. You need somebody like an um, Ariana Grande to run for <laughs> California governor. You need somebody like um, uh, Bruce Jenner. Uh, Bruce, <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah, I think I think I've said enough. See, here's here's the point: we we have jumped the shark now. They really did a good job in the Avengers movies, and I forget about these little things that they did, and I can't remember which movie it was. You no, know, it's in Spider-Man Homecoming. When within Spider-Man Homecoming, in school, they have Captain America doing those yeah. sanctimonious little, hey, kids. The you PSAs. Know? The yeah. PSAs. That's, yeah. It's so fantastic. It's so smart, but it's also self-aware. Once you lose the self-awareness, that's not just a little punchline. Then that's the whole life. The, the the woke progressive version of Captain America is, of course, he's running for office and making his whole life the PSA. That's the difference. Hmm. Okay. I think you make a compelling case. Tim is next. Uh, I became a Christian in the summer of 2005 while attending a church camp that a local youth group was involved with. Over the years, I drifted in and out of the church, all the while getting involved in things I knew at the time were wrong. My wife and I married in 2012 and in 2013 had our first child. When he was about a year old, we started having severe marriage problems, so we decided to try and fix things by finding a church to attend regularly. I know it's by the grace of God that we were able to heal, and I'm thankful to him every day for that, but I often feel an emptiness inside me that I am still missing something. I often question my salvation, even when even what I believe in general, but I think back to the overwhelming weight that was lifted off of my shoulders and the comfort that was felt on the summer night so many years ago as a teenager and tell myself that that could not have been just some random feeling. 
Might any of you guys have any advice or personal experience that could be helpful in my walk? That is from Tim. Um, I'll start. Tim, you, you, you exhibit a level of self-awareness that probably only someone that is actually working out their salvation in fear and trembling would have. Meaning, it, it's only by pondering what God did for you, fully pondering it as best as we can in our finite minds. It is only by fully pondering that and then realizing how little, such as nothing, we did to deserve that. That you would actually begin to have these kinds of doubts. It's, it's a paradox, I understand that. But you know who doesn't ever doubt that? The person who believes they're entitled to it or they've arrived in some way. I'm such a good Christian now that it just doesn't even it just doesn't even enter my thoughts about the possibility like wow I just thought that wow I just did that wow I want to do that wow I just did that again I cannot believe God still saved me knowing in advance I was going to think and do these things I actually think you're expressing a pretty good spirit of humility. Now, we cannot take it too far. Ultimately, we are to act. You see, this is the paradox again. We are to act and live in the confidence. We boldly approach the throne of grace, is what it says in the New Testament. So there, there, there should come a spirit of confidence, ultimately, from the knowledge of what God has done for you and that he is at work in your life. But Brother Elijah faced down the prophets of Mount Carmel, humiliated them in front of all the people, and then ran for his life. Maybe the greatest English-speaking preacher of all time, Charles H. Spurgeon, dealt with clinical depression throughout his adult life, in and out of it. So... In, in Todd's tradition, Peter is the first bishop of the church. The Lord once looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. So it is a good thing to ponder how unworthy you are of this. That is a good thing to do, to a point. It is a good thing to have confidence in your faith. To a point. <laughs> See, I think these things are paradoxes. Yes. This and, and you know why? That's what a relationship is, is a paradox. We were just talking about marriage and sinners being married to one another. My wife married a my I married a terrible sinner. Wow, that's the one for me. You know, I mean, that's a paradox, right? Mm-hmm. You are you are you are marrying someone who's totally depraved. And yet you're like, wow, she's a dream sickle, man. 
Okay, that's the paradox of it. These things are both true at the same time. And I think this is why we, you know, we aren't to give up meeting together, why we continue to commune together, because we are encouraged by sharing both what God has done in our lives so other people see it and see evidence of God at work. And then they do the same with us. So when we feel a time where we're like, I don't know, it just doesn't feel like it's happening right now. We still see God is working in other places. And it, and it brings it home to us. But I think you're exhibiting a paradox that without knowing more of your story beyond what you just told me, I actually think is fairly healthy self-awareness. Because you're not worthy of what God did for you. And neither am I, and neither is anybody else. So there should be moments where we both struggle with being too confident in that. And then when we when the when the balance is kind of restored, we kind of go the other way and we're like, wow, man, I'm a wretch. I don't deserve this. Yeah, well, both of those things are true. That's the nature of a relationship. Any truly intimate relationship is going to be paradoxical. You have any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, per- perhaps providentially, Steve recently helped had me uh, look over somebody else's work, just uh, looking for takes on it. Had to do something uh, with uh, mental health, and the common thread throughout it is that w- when you're in these moments, it it is time to act. And it is not necessarily time to act betting on the come of a very specific outcome because outcomes are for God. It is simply to act in ways that we know are blessed and validated by the Lord and to trust that that is enough and he will take you where you need to go. When you are in these moments and look at in these cultures, forget about personal circumstances just you should feel this way within this culture when reality itself is being undone daily with Thanos snaps. It's a sign of health to be feeling this way. And when you do, it is time to act. Whatever your current reality is, it is time to get involved in a way, get outside of the comfort zone, out of the norm, what have you, because a lot of us, listen, we're Christians, but we're living just like everybody else. It's that gated community effect. And it can be stifling. It can choke the life out of you. So uh, it, it, it don't ref- it's a call to action that you feel when you do that. And no one said it within my tradition better than Mother Teresa. Upon her uh, death, reading her diaries, she was plagued with doubts and darkness. But that woman acted day after day after day. And it's clear... She never gave in to that darkness. It, it spurred her on. It was a bat signal to her to go and spread love into the darkest corners of the world. And you're being asked no less. Not knowing more of your story than, than what we just heard, I would say, to a certain extent, take that as um, a little bit of confirmation that you are, I believe, where God wants you to be. I mean, you are, this, this is a form I would say, of spiritual warfare, one that a lot of us go through, if we're going to be honest, at some point, maybe throughout our entire Christian walks, that the enemy is planting those seeds of doubt in your mind, cause, uh, cause one to, to think that they are empty. 
you know, fundamentally, I believe um, most of our conversations about the nature of God come down to how big is he? That's what we were just talking about a few weeks ago, free will. What is this? We're really talking about how big is God? Most of our, most of our conversations about ourselves in terms of our, our, our faith come down to is God enough? Are we content with where we are? And again, the most spiritual growth I have had in my life is when I sincerely give something to the Lord and say, you know what? It's your timing, what have you. I tell this story often. I'll, I'll say it again now. Um, one of the last practices my freshman year, I was a scrawny kid, football practice. We had this fun um, uh, drill that we ran for conditioning that day, final practice of the season. One of the, I think it was an upperclassman, maybe it was just a sophomore then, I think he was an upperclassman, sized me up. We were to run, it was a four corners drill, I think is what you call it. We had these giant pads that we held up in front of us, kind of tackling dummies. And we were to run from one corner to another. And if we hit each other in the middle, that was fine. But two would run it at the same time. Supperclassman, much larger than I, sized me up, got in line to hit me. And man, he wiped me out. And I was just a scrawny kid, you know. Um, but uh, it was embarrassing. And uh, also, to add insult to injury, it was raining that day. And my mom for- forgot to come pick me up. <laughs> <laughs> for like a half an hour afterwards. Um, and I was just sitting there and I was just not really feeling sorry for myself, but just kind of upset. But whatever it was, I just decided, you know what, God, you want me to be small right now? I have the desire to play football. That's okay. And um, I, I just gave that to him because I was just, I was picked on quite a bit as well as a homeschooler. I went through a growth, my biggest growth spurt, that next summer. I'm not saying this to say that, hey, you give up your, you know, whatever's burdening you, whatever that is, to me, to whatever I was, 13, 14 year old Aaron, it was that I was really scrawny and small. In the grand scheme of things, that's things that's not a big deal. Whatever God has placed on you or whatever burden that you bear, uh, I would just encourage you to give that to the Lord. That doesn't mean that it's just going to get magically better and you're going to have a fairy tale ending. By the way, I'm you know, I was never a great football player, but at least I got bigger and I could hit a little bit harder. Um, that's that's what I've seen in other people as well, because it's not necessarily necessarily that things will be resolved, but it's that you'll have peace, even in the midst of uh, you know unresolved whatever it is that you're burdened with or going through. So I would just I would say encourage whatever whatever it is. At any particular time, it's causing you to have um, feelings of emptiness, whatever. Just give that to the Lord. In that moment, in that time, just give it to the Lord. Amen. Uh, This is from Dom, who says, to be perfectly honest, a couple of years ago, my wife and I were alcoholics. You'd like to think that the news that my wife was pregnant would stop our drinking, but unfortunately it did not. We drank to the point where we discussed murdering our child in in the womb rather than have her live with the consequences of our wrongs. Because if your shows and other, others like it, we found the strength to say no. We would face the music, bring our child to term. Our daughter is now 18 months old, and she is beautiful and intelligent in the light of our lives. On top of that, my wife and I are both now sober. 
If we had gotten an abortion, I know for a fact I'd still be an alcoholic dealing with a world of regret on top of that. Doing the right thing was the best decision I ever made. I say all this to say, yes, sometimes doing the right thing leads to you being martyred for the truth. However, you may seem surprised when sometimes you stand in the truth and you meet a lot less resistance than you thought. In either case, I've never regretted doing what's right in this case, and neither will anyone else. God always blesses the righteous on earth and in heaven. Dom is communicating a very important practical lesson. In the New Testament, Paul uses a lot of practical examples, wrestling uses wrestling examples, uh, uses uh, running Olympic examples, finish your race, okay? Um, Let me borrow from that. Your faith is is like any other muscle. All right, so today, or yesterday, for my upper body workout, I was running behind on my schedule. And by the time I got everything caught up in everything, now... 10 minutes to drive over to the gym, work out there, 10 minutes home, okay? I wasn't sure I was going to make it because I also had to shave for work and everything else. So I've got some workout stuff at the house. I decided to do that instead for my upper body day. But I hadn't used that equipment in a long time. And using that, using that equipment forced me to do some, some upper body motions and techniques I'd not done since we were in lockdown and I couldn't get to the gym. And even though these are lighter weights, I'm like, holy crap, man. I'm getting really sore doing this. Because some of those secondary muscles that I was not using in this routine had atrophied because they weren't getting as much usage, right? Yeah. That See, our faith works the same way. It's a muscle. The more you work it, the stronger you, it gets. The less you work it, the weaker it gets. Dom put his faith here to the test and said, all right, we're going to put our faith in God and get rid of the alcohol and have our baby. Put his faith to the test. And it answered the bell. When we hear stories of, of, of great faith victories like this, and then you find out later that someone had a, um, a walked away from the faith or has become heavily backslidden, That's what I like to say in the Protestant circles. Um, That happens because they stopped working the faith. They stopped working that muscle. The faith got, the muscle got weak. It's similar to any other exercise. The guy who could drop and do 20 when he was in the Marines, and then 30 years later, can't do that, can't drop and do 10 now, without even can't do 10 without being on his knees, okay? How did that happen? He got weaker because he stopped working those muscles. Your faith is a muscle like any other muscle. The more you work, the stronger it gets. The less you use it, the weaker it gets. This is from Brian. I have a 14-year-old with whom I have apologetics-style conversations about Christ and Christianity And he tells me about conversations he's having with his atheist friends. We also have political discussions about the founding, political ideologies, presidents, and how their decisions impacted our country, as well as how global actions shifted our country, cause and effect type of conversations. He's a smart and passionate young man. When Fauci and Bargain came out, I also got Nefarious Plot and Nefarious Carol. Before I could read read them, we had to drive from Florida to Tennessee for a wedding. 
My son had nothing to read. Since he loved the screw tape letters, I handed him both plot and Carol. He finished plot by the time we got to Tennessee, sharing excerpts within the car throughout the drive. The other day, I picked him up from school, and he told me about a conversation he had with his U.S. history teacher. During the brief exchange, he quoted a nefarious plot. The teacher, an atheist but an open and engaging man, asked him where he had heard that. My son pulled the book from his backpack, where he also had his Bible, opened it to the page, and handed it to his teacher. As my son sat down and watched his teacher read the passage and then continue to read, turn the page and read some more, my son knew he was moving from the political passage to a Christian section and smiled. This teacher loves my son and his knowledge and engagement in class. That relationship is opening doors, planting seeds, and may in God's time bear some fruit. Your book has also been a tool for that plan. Thank you for what you bring every day on your show, you and your and the boys and your guests. Thank you for the books. Thank you for the knowledge and information you guys have given us that helps people like me pour that into our kids. When you look at these millennials and Gen Z kids and weep for the future, know that there are some like my son who are faithful and passionate about this country, uh, faithful to the Lord, and want its historic contributions to the world conserved for continuing potential. You guys are appreciated more than you know. I get a lot of notes like this more than I let on. I think I've told you all that before. I and and I'm trying to more often now plug them in every one or two into these segments just so you know we don't get in our own rut and remember what's really at stake with what we're doing here, right? Oh, and, these are vital. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's and Brian and others like you that have sent us these kinds of notes over the years. There's just Thank you so much, man. Those things are mother's milk for us to not get discouraged and not get hyper overly cynical. I think healthy cynicism isn't one thing, but the debilitating kind that just makes it there's no point to doing anything, not a helpful, very, very, uh, that's not a helpful variant of, of skepticism. So Brian, um, that really blessed us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, and you get a, you get a helmet sticker too, Brian. For raising a, a, oh, yeah. a 14 year old Absolutely. like that. Yes. You bet. Well said. Andrew writes I went to my local GOP quarterly meeting recently. My local GOP have control of everything. So I assumed there would be rhinos. But at the very least, they'd be like 90s style Democrats type rhinos. I was very, very wrong. For two hours, they spoke about how they did everything right, closing school, masking kids, forcing quarantines, and that it's possible we may have to do it again in the fall. After the two-hour self-flagellation, the superintendent took questions. One man asked if they were teaching critical racist theory, to which the superintendent said they haven't seen it in the classroom. Upon some pointed questioning, it was volunteered that the administrators and teachers have been given implicit bias training. That created a bit of a divide between the room as the local party leaders wanted to drop any more questions. And my dumbass argued that implicit bias training is, in fact, cultural Marxism or just plain racism, which is the father of critical racist theory. I can't stress enough the importance of meeting with local party leaders. In my experience, they are cowards, and it's high time they were afraid of what we will say about them rather than force implicit bias training on educators in an effort to please the racialist left. Thanks for what you do and don't stop. No, Andrew. Thanks for what you did, brother. Yeah, I mean, thank you for yeah, thank you for the compliment. But thank you for what you did. That conversation we were having last hour about how why why still expose the voter fraud if no one's going to go to prison if it won't overturn the election? Because 
They can't carry this out at the meta MSNBC, CNN level. They have to do it at a granular neighborhood level. And it's real easy for Rachel Maddow to look into a teleprompter and read off a script for millions of dollars a year. Y'all are a bunch of racists and homophobes, right? Right. In a studio with no audience and she faces no blowback from that. And then everywhere she gets to go in her elite circles are just going to be people that pamper her for saying such things. Yes. Not so easy to walk into your own school board meeting and say that to your neighbor, right? Right. Or your kid's Little League coach, right? Right. Or the guy that might decide whether your kid's going to play on the travel basketball AAU team next summer in the hopes that where you're hoping he might get noticed by a college scout. And on and on and on and on we go, right? Ain't as easy to do it there. And that's what you did, Andrew. You took it there. You showed up. I don't know who said it. I don't know what the exact number is, but some predominant percentage of life is just showing up. Just being there, being present. Why is the first thing we did in class when we were kids take attendance? Because you weren't going to do any of the other things that were required of you in that class if you weren't there. That was the first first step, right? Was showing up. You showed up. May your house increase, my friend. Until recently, not enough of us have been showing up. It's amazing what happens when you show up and make them look you in the eye. And learn to love being that person that quiets the room when you walk in. I got to tell you, man. Confession. My ego freaking loves it. I love walking in and hearing the silence. Because I know that you know, and you know that I know, that you're intimidated. And that's the exact reaction I'm looking for. Thank you. The truth. Straight. No chaser. Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network. If you're tired of that pesky, chronic, underlying kind of pain, achiness, stiffness, you know, that just won't go away in your back, in your knees, your neck, your shoulders, not an injury or a boo-boo that requires some form of treatment or rest or healing, but the chronic variety that nags and won't go away, chances are that's caused by too much inflammation in your body. And if you're looking for an all-natural anti-inflammatory that can help you get back to a lot less inflammation uh, in your life and a lot less chronic pain. Check out our friends at Omega XL, backed by 35 years of clinical research. That's its speciality, going after inflammation. It's also a product I use each and every day so I can personally attest to its effectiveness. And if you want to take me up on that, they're offering you buy one bottle, get a second one for free today when you go to omegaxl.com slash Steve. That's omegaxl.com slash Steve or give them a call at 800-844-4888, 800 844 
888-900-4888. Back to a special two-hour edition of Feedback Friday. This is from Brian Black, who says, What do you think about this Mount Rushmore of movie battles? Avengers Endgame Final Battle, the Dunkirk evacuation scene, Helm's Deep in Lord of the Rings, and the Battle of Sterling in Braveheart. How is that for a Mount Rushmore of movie battles? There's an obvious one missing here, I think. Well, Dunkirk, that's the Christopher Nolan. Yes. Right? I'm. Same war, but different movie scene is obviously missing here. Oh, Saving Private yes. Ryan? Yes. Yeah. yeah. The D Day arrival scene yeah. has to be no, on I would that take list. out I the would Dunkirk. Take out Dunkirk. But I mean, the rest yeah. of this, I think, is a great list. Oh, yeah. But I think the Dunkirk, you got the, the right war, wrong movie. I think you have to go, even though you guys know I'm not a fan of that movie as a whole, uh, that opening salvo takes your breath away and so i think you have to have the d-day landing from saving private ryan there what do you think aaron it's a great list i have not seen dunkirk so i would have to agree i'm trying to rack my brain for any other but that is a great list though it's good good mix of uh fiction with with non-fiction i feel like there is something else though i feel like there is something else though that's an obvious choice that we're missing but what being Battle of Gotham, Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, nah, that's you know what I'd say that's an underrated battle. Sure, scene. that's underrated. Sure, yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. It's Which a good is, list. It's a good Mount Rushmore. Chris Simonelli wants to know, in your opinion, has the GOP consultant class gotten any better? No. <laughs> what? <laughs> Do you even Steve Dace, bro? <laughs> First of all, even if it had gotten better, I'm not sure I'm capable of saying yes. Actually, if it had gotten better, we just wouldn't read this email because I just would not. I, John my mind would explode. Yes. Uh, he says, did or does it seem like Trump did better just because he's Trump and would be difficult for a Republican to duplicate? Is this the Herculean task you mentioned that DeSantis would be tasked with should he choose to run? Well, notice what the main complaint was about DeSantis a few months ago, that he can't keep consultants. That, that's other consultants bitching and moaning about him. That's good, uh-huh. right? Um, when I was being wooed by the Trump operation, I was told he hated consultants. And you can see he just, that was true. Yeah, you saw that both as a candidate and for him as president. Um, I, I think a lot of what groups like the Lincoln Project, a lot of that is former GOP consultants just pissed off. They're on the, they're on the outs now and they're not wielding power. Um, so I don't believe the GOP consulting class has gotten better as a whole at all. I mean, some of my, a couple of my best friends in this business are really good friends are consultants, but they would, to be friends with somebody like me would indicate they're not your typical GOP consultant. If you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. the GOP consulting class is every bit as bad as it used to be. It's just, it's influence has been so heavily diminished that it's kind of become irrelevant in many respects. Where you see it prop up more often is in congressional races. And I can often tell you if someone's going to sell you out, if you elect them to Congress, just on the virtue of who you tell me their consultants are or where they got them hired from. Okay. But on a, on a national macro level from a presidential standpoint, they've been severely diminished in their influence and capacity. Uh, Marie Elrich. All right. Let's have an ethical question. She writes, do you believe it is ethical to imprison a group of people during wartime? Or to put it another way, do you think that, their need, that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few is an ethical way of thinking? 
There are a few reasons I ask this question. First, a few friends and family have said that the Japanese internment camps were justified because of the Japanese spies that infiltrated America. One of my friends even claimed that doing so saved hundreds of American lives. I personally don't think that imprisoning Americans at any time is justifiable, even if there were some spies among the Japanese. However, I acknowledge my own bias. I'm one-fourth Japanese, and thinking of my grandmother, who was Japanese, going to an internment camp makes me emotionally upset. As a result, I wonder if I'm truly unbiased in my analysis. I think these friends and family members unintentionally hold to the beliefs that the needs of the, wit of the, needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. If so, is that ethical within the Christian worldview? As a Christian, I really want to know what the right answer to this question is. Well, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few is often associated actually as a line with Star Trek, okay? It's what Spock says in the death scene uh, of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, which is uh, platinum classic cinematic brilliance. However, uh, it's also utilitarian. It's a utilitarian ethical system. Uh, the Christian ethical system says that he leaves 99 behind to find the one lost sheep. That even if it was just me that had violated God's commandments and deserved hell, Jesus would have died for me anyway. That we pick up our cross, that we bear one another's burdens, we suffer for others. All right, it's utilitarian ethics that do this sort of calculation that you're talking about. Now, that doesn't mean there's never a need for utilitarian ethics. At the end of World War II, we made a utilitarian ethical decision I agree with. It was one of the final island battles of World War II, and the Japanese brought their grandmother. I mean, grandmas were, were fighting to the death. Down to the last carbon-based life form, they fought to the death. And it was a bloodbath. And it was after that battle, one, one of those kinds of battles, that Truman finally made the decision the loss of life here is going to be far more catastrophic to end this, ultimately, than if we go ahead and drop this bomb. So they did, first on Hiroshima and then on Nagasaki. Now that is an example of a utilitarian ethic that I agree with. Why? Because it began, I would argue, from a Judeo-Christian righteous premise. How do we make this calculation in a way that causes the least loss of life? knowing that there will be loss of life, we're in a war. Like sometimes we used to make, I used to run into these conversations, utilitarian ethics from great Christian thinkers on abortion. Well, Steve, if your house was on fire, you couldn't save all your kids, wouldn't you just try to save, you know, how many you could? And I would be like, Whose parental instinct is to run into a fire and just save as many of their kids as they can? Who does that? Just be like, oh, sorry. Yeah, who, who runs into the fire, grabs two of their three kids, just like, man, the fire's just too much. Guess I gotta leave that third kid there. No, who, what kind of parent? What, 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 call, what would we call a dad that did that? Not a good uh, one. Terrible, to quote the great Charles Barkley? Yeah. <laughs> we call the hero dad the one who either goes and backs and gets the third kid or dies trying, right? right? But this was always the argument. Uh, well, we're going to save as many kids as we can, which with their silly abortion laws, it didn't save. How many kids did they save? None would be the answer. They saved any kids. But that was always the, the argument. This one's different. This is starting from the premise of we're already in a situation beyond our control. 
I once had a Christian pastor say to me in arguing for his silly abortion laws, they don't save any lives. Well, if three of your kids fell down a will and you can only get two, wouldn't you get the two? I, I told him I would jump down to the bottom of the well and let them climb up my shoulders to get out and die in their place because that's what a dad does and that's what my heavenly father did for me, right? Isn't that what we, yes. isn't what the cross is? He jumped down from heaven and jumped on the cross for me, so died in my place. I mean, the, the, the premise of the argument matters greatly here. Often when we wield utilitarian ethics, it's from the premise of, if we are, if we are making these calculations, that means it's automatically good. President Truman understood none of these options were good. So he was attempting to make the most of a terrible situation, the worst war the world had ever seen or has seen since. So I wouldn't go so far as to say it's an, I, I'm an absolutist that there's never a time for utilitarian ethics. We live in a fallen world. We do. Back to the analogies I just gave. Three of my, all three of my kids are in a burning building. The first two are in the front doorway and I can save them right away. Do I run past them to try to save the third kid, which therefore may risk their lives while they sit there in the smoke and the flames? Is that what I should do? No. No, I get them out as soon as I can, right? right? But then do I stop and say, it's just too dangerous to go back in for the third kid? Is that what a dad does? You don't start singing two out of three ain't bad. No, you don't. You go right back in there, right? So yeah, you save the first two that you could, but you go right back in there to the death for your third if you have to, right? Right. So, so is that a form of a utilitarian ethic? Yeah, it is. So in a fallen world, you will not be permitted perfectly seamless choice making. You will not. So it's not so much about whether the application is imperfect, but whether the premise is righteous. If you look at the history of Japanese internment camps, we basically took anybody that had certain uh, eye features and looked Asian and put them in there. We began from the premise that therefore, since they looked a certain way, they sacrificed or for, they were to forsake their their God-given rights as Americans. So I would argue they're American citizens. They were owed and deserved the benefit of the doubt by their government because the government works for them, not them for the government. And be careful making assertions that, hey, we might have stopped a couple of Japanese spies by interning hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands of American citizens. Because you know who else is using that logic? That's why over 500 of your countrymen are sitting and definitely detained since January the 6th. Same logic is being used. Now, would I go so far as to say there's never a time for that? No. After we have a 9-11 kind of event and an enclave, a heavily Muslim enclave, has a mosque that openly preaches hate and terrorism against the United States of America? You want to go in there and shut that thing down? And if those people won't shut it down, you want to intern them? I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Because the minute they start preaching insurrection against the Constitution, they have forfeited, they have forfeited their rights under it, in my view. But even that is a very specific, narrowly focused application. In general, Christians should not seek 
to start from a premise of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, but should begin from a premise of how, how do I suffer and serve to save as many as I can as Christ did for me? Anybody want to chime in on that? Agree or disagree? Well, the limits of logic, since we're talking Star Trek, are so beautifully laid out in the reboot. It's in the first movie where uh, Spock had lost his mother and he's battling with his grief and he's trying to do it with the measuring stick. He's tried to perfect his whole life logic and his father and I can't remember who's his father's name in the Star Trek lore. Uh, Sarek. Sarek. Yep. Comes to him and simply says, he just releases him from that burden and just tells him that logic only goes so far. And he says, mm-hmm. I didn't marry your, uh, your mother for this or this. I married her because I loved her. That's the measuring stick that you measure all your other measuring sticks by. Love. That's excellent. And tying this back in with some other conversations we have had today, the the relationship that we have with our maker is not, I've said this before, it's not a science, it's not an art, it's a relationship. And as you put it, Steve, earlier, it's a paradox. I think that's apropos. The relationship that we have with other human beings, similarly, though, though not 100% the same, it's also a paradox. They're not relation, they're not they're not quotas. They're not quotients. They are not sums of number. No, they are people that, as Todd said, we love. And so the logic is kind of put to the side. You're not thinking in the moment when a house is burning down and your loved ones are inside. Hmm, should I go up this stair first or should I go? What would be the most efficient way to do this? What would cause the most happiness for the most amount of people? No, you run in to the burning building, not knowing, just going on your gut instinct based on love, as as Todd just said. So the limits of uh, of logic are definitely seen in those situations. Well said, both of you. Hey, you know, we love Bill Bar on the show. Big news for them, by the way. I mean, they are official sponsor of the uh, U.S. Olympic uh, track and field team that Ainsley Erzin will probably be appearing on here in, uh, in, in either uh, 2028 or beyond. It's on a shelf it over is. there. It is. I hear you. I hear you. But if you want to give it a shot, best protein bar that's ever been made. Um, and it doesn't force you to choose between uh, taste and nutrition and health any longer. Low sugar, low carb, low calorie, high in protein, high in flavor. You can't beat it. Trust me, it's the best protein bar you've ever had. Easy. I should say this more often too. Easy on the tummy. Because that's a big thing with me. A lot of protein bars, even if they taste great, man, will just wreck your system. This is easy on the tummy as well. So many great flavors, all covered in real chocolate. And then there's those limited time flavors you got to load up on when those come out, because those are really, really good. All right, get 15% off your order right now when you go to Built, B-U-I-L-T, Built.com. Get 15% off when you use my name, last name, that is, Dace, as your promo code, D-E-A-C-E, promo code Dace, at Built.com for 15% off. Well, this was fun. We got through quite a few of these, actually. Good. What percentage? I'd say we got about 60 to 70% through the list. 
It was a good list. It was a good list. There's some really good ones. Didn't have time to get to either. It could have done a whole other hour, but as much as I love you guys, they're not paying me to do that. So I, I won't, <laughs> but we will do an overtime for our blaze TV subscribers, our best and worst of the week coming your way. Going to record it right after this for the rest of you. Have a great weekend. We'll see you again on Monday. And until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.